0: Thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning. It is so good to hear all our voices unmuffled, at least uh, a lot of us, and so I'm really grateful to to be getting back to a place where we can hear each other and, and, like Dole says, see each other's faces. It's great. Just let me add my greetings to those of you online that are joining us, wherever you are in the world, and to all of you that are here in person. So I want to start today with a personal story, really kind of part personal confession of part of my story. So some of you may not know, but I I came out of college as a youth minister and I was a youth minister for about 14 years. And my desire in college, I was directionless, I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew is I wanted to have to do with people and I wanted it to matter. You know, they just some something I had to do with people, something that mattered. And so youth ministry was perfect and I'm so grateful for God putting you there because I got to engage with people right in the time of their life where they're making decisions that will affect the rest of their life and I got to deal with the gospel which matters right it matters not just for this life but beyond this life and so that was great so it was about four or five years I can't remember exactly into my youth ministry, where I'm just, you know, I started with 12 kids in the little church that that, uh, that that I got to pour my lives into and be friends with and disciple. But it was about four or five years into my ministry that I got asked for the first time to go and speak in front of teenager, in front of students, a large crowd. It was a youth rally. And I went, and after I went, I, I you know, a friend had asked, and I said, yes, it was a little, you know, unusual for me, but I said, oh okay okay and so I went and something surprising happened to for me something I didn't expect after I finished these two or three talks at this rally there was this line that formed of people coming to tell me what a good job you did Brian and several in those line were actually there to ask me for my phone number so that they could then invite me to speak to their large crowds of students and so so pause there. So you, in in one sense this could be really affirming of a new way in which God could utilize me, you know, in ministry to people in a way that mattered. But this 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 other thing popped up that made me realize very quickly that uh, that I could get addicted to that in an unhealthy way. Do you understand what I'm saying? That I could get addicted to that line and to that affirmation in an unhealthy way, and so this revealed what would be years of epic battle within me. Okay, so there was something in me. I don't want to just demonize this whole thing. There was something in me that uh, that felt like this. This could be really neat, right? This could scratch an itch that my spiritual side has. That I could advance the kingdom of God, in what that I should advance the kingdom of God in whatever way he wants to use me. And, and so that was, that was in me, wanting to say yes to being used by him in whatever way he saw fit. But then there's this other side that I had to admit that was in me, and it was louder, this wounded side of me, that my selfish ego just wanted to be told something to the fact of, you're something by people. You understand what I'm saying here? So there's this, there was this tension. And so one of these streams, like I said, had this real opportunity to become a part of my life, an, an act of sacrifice and obedience in advancing the kingdom. Uh, and, and, would, and if it did that, it would bring me joy. Because just like sitting one-on-one with a student did, that could bring me joy if it did become something where I'm investing in people and something that mattered, another way of doing that. But the other one was difficult for me i could feel inside of me as he, that was inside of me but there was something else inside of me my fleshly side that would hijack this potential kingdom assignment and use it and turning it into this self-serving ego stroking medicine for some kind of wounded soul inside of me is that clear So I want you to just hang on to that for a minute. We'll come back to that as we are in week two of a three-week exploration of what Jesus and the rest of the New Testament authors call the kingdom. And so I'm basing this. There's lots to say about the kingdom, more than we will talk about in these three weeks. But I'm looking at it from the angle of Paul in Romans 14, 17, when he said that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy, in the Holy Spirit. There's not one word of that sentence that isn't important. And so last week we talked about uh, the matter of, the kingdom matter of peace. Next week we'll talk about the kingdom matter of righteousness. This week I want to talk about this kingdom matter of joy. Uh, Mother Teresa has this famous quote where she said, One filled with joy preaches without preaching. That one filled with joy preaches without preaching. There was another preacher that once said, when Christians enter the house of worship with joy, they enter dressed in their Sunday best. And the more trouble these Christians suffer, the more credible they make the Jesus they worship. There was a, man named Thomas Dorsey. He is known as the father of black gospel music. He basically lived the entire last century, all of the 1900s. Just imagine what he lived through. And uh, he, He's famous for writing our song, Precious Lord, which was also famously Martin Luther King's favorite hymn. And it's used in many funerals. He wrote that after his wife had died in childbirth. He said one time, money doesn't make the man... Some people have money, some people are rich. Those who have found joy are rich. They're the rich. So I want to take a shot at answering this question about this kingdom matter of joy. What do we need to do? What do I need to do? What do you need to do to trigger this Holy Spirit-induced experience of joy? Kingdom joy. And I want to talk about kingdom joy specifically, before I answer that question, because kingdom joy is different than what a lot of us might experience. There's a lot of cheap counterfeits, and here's how you can tell the difference. You know you're experiencing kingdom joy when nothing can kill it, when nothing can steal it. No matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to those you love, no matter what happens in your nation, no matter what happens in your church, no matter what happens, if your joy is not stolen from you or killed, then you're experiencing kingdom joy. So I I wish I could say it like lesser than that, but scripture won't let me. That's how it describes kingdom joy. So two kind of scripture anchors anchors into that, so that if that like makes you feel a certain way, because it's not your experience as a Christian, it's not mine either. I'll just find that solidarity with you. But That doesn't mean that's not what it is, and that doesn't mean that's not what's available to you. That's why we're going to answer the question, how do I stay connected to that? But a couple of, so that you can argue with Scripture about this, not me. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is declaring himself... He's in a synagogue and they'd ask this rabbi Jesus to read some scripture and he is handed or he grabs Isaiah 61 and he unrolls it and he reads it like many, many hundreds of rabbis have before him, but he reads it in a way with, a, with an inflection in his voice different than any other teacher. He spoke with this authority as if Isaiah 61 was talking about him and the time that it was prophesying was talking about then. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom of prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he's saying it as if this is that year. And in Jewish circles, they they knew this. When a rabbi quoted a portion of an Old Testament passage that was shorthand for the whole passage. We don't do that so well because we didn't have it all memorized, but a lot of them did. And so in the rest of that passage, one of the descriptions of that year that was going to come one day, and that Jesus was staying here, was saying, he said, instead of shame, everlasting joy will be theirs. Now, everlasting joy, if you go back to the Hebrew or the Greek in the New Testament, it means everlasting It means it doesn't go away. It's not just going to last forever. It's not going to be interruptible. It lasts. It perseveres. It can handle anything. And then the second scripture, Jesus reiterates this, is what he intends for his people, his church, his followers, that this is the time that's come. He reiterates it when he tells one of those stories that we're not going to get into in this series. But you know, he's always saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of heaven is like that. This is one of those parables, and it's the parable of the soils or the seed. And it's where he says this farmer goes out and chunks seed out into the, and there's four different kinds of soil, and only one's really good, and it, you know, grows a harvest, but the other three aren't healthy. One of those unhealthy soils is rocky soil. And here's his interpretation, listen to this, of what the rocky soil is like. He says, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives joy. But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. You see it? He doesn't intend it to be like that. When troubles and persecution come, the joy is supposed to be re- supposed to remain. There's supposed to be a root into joy that causes his people to be unassailable, to wear their Sunday best wherever they go. Because they are rooted in joy. So you know you're experiencing kingdom joy when nothing can steal it from you. So again, how do we trigger this Holy Spirit-induced experience of joy? How do we walk in what Peter calls in his first sermon after Jesus went back to heaven, he ascended. In his first service, he calls it the path of life. of joy. I want you to picture joy like a path real quick before I answer the question I've now teased you with twice. I want to tell you one more thing that I want to warn you about. So I want you to picture joy as a path and that it's available to you and me. If there's ever what Jesus calls a narrow path, this might be it. Okay. The, the, The path of incessant, everlasting, uninterruptible, undeterrable joy. But I want you to pretend for a minute like it's available, like Jesus means it. And it's available. There are two ditches on either side of the path that not people, Christians, end up falling into when they hear sermons like this. Two dangers that Christians fall into and fall into. They choose to walk in that and wade in that difficult path when they hear things like be joyful always, which is literally scripture. It's in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, it's a direct command, be joyful always. And so the first danger, or ditch, I'm going to call the happy, happy, joy, joy ditch. Okay? And this happens when well-meaning Christians hear sermons like this and directives like that, and they feel like it's their obligation then to always be joyful. And so, doggone it, they start working really hard to present themselves as joyful to the world. Lots of praise the Lord's and lots of, you know, happy, just happy, happy, joy, joy. Okay? And again, it comes from their good heart. They want to just follow Scripture. They want to be what Scripture says they're supposed to be. But did you hear what I said? They begin working hard to be joyful. That's an oxymoron. This is why it's important. When Paul says it's a matter of joy in the Holy Spirit, It's given. It's in you. It's not so hard. It's not so difficult. And so often, this kind of joy in Christians comes across as fake. Because it is. And it comes across as unrealistic. And so that's not, it's from their good heart of obedience, but that's not what Jesus is talking about, and it's not what Paul's talking about. And that leads us to the second danger, the second ditch, which oftentimes is a Christian's response to those Christians. I'm going to call this the keeping a real ditch. They feel it's incumbent upon them, in no small part because of those Christians that are always acting like everything's great all the time. And so it is their duty to prove to the world that God, see, again, it's from their good heart. Because this is true. God can handle you no matter what you're dealing with. No matter how you're feeling. But they feel it's incumbent on them to prove that and demonstrate that in response to that a lot of times. And so they're just keeping it real by never experiencing joy. Always pointing out the difficult things. And again, it comes from their good heart. It's well-meaning. Trying to declare that God can handle it no matter what it is. But rather, just like the others, the happy, happy, joy, joy people, the, these people in this stage keeping it real it's not attracting anyone either it's just a little for the world it's just a little too like aggressive at explaining that you don't have to be joyful it's a little bit too evangelistic towards keeping it real and I, I, and it the joylessness doesn't need to be demonstrated in here. They got plenty of that out there. And so if they come in here and they meet these Christians, they just feel like, man, I got who wants that? Who wants that? So, with that warning to you that you're not to fall into either of those digits, dishes, ditches, dangers, you do not need to be exhibiting giddiness all the time to authenticate the kingdom as, as a matter of joy, nor do you have to go out of your way to avoid it in order to authenticate the kingdom is real. The Holy Spirit can do all that. What you're wanting is this pathway. Don't you? Those two are just hiring anyway. They're just hiring and they don't work. So, with that warning, for you not to fall in either of those digits, I want to try to answer the question. What do I need to do to trigger this Holy Spirit-induced experience of joy that can stand whatever circumstances I have. So from my study and from my experience and from my observation your joy is directly connected to your experience of God's activity. Okay? I know that's not a clever way of saying it but you your joy and joy listed in scripture and and my joy I find when I am connected intimately connected to God's activity through me or within me. Okay? When let let me try to explain this. Okay? I think so you experience kingdom joy by staying connected to God, not just to God, to God's activity. His activity that he, has been done in you and that he is doing through you. When, when you're, every time in scripture when I see, you, I think I can make a pretty good case, because I, just like I've read all the scriptures about the kingdom, this last week I read all the scriptures about joy. And I think I can make the case that every single one of them, and many, if not most of them, are in the midst of some kind of suffering in the background, that they are, they are feeling joy despite their circumstances because they are connected to, to the king of the kingdom. What specifically, what he's done in them or what he's doing through them or around them. So let me, let me give you, just bear with me here. I'm going to give you a couple of examples from Scripture. So the first one is in Philippians. And this is Paul. And he says this. He says, now, Paul's in jail. All right? He is imprisoned. He is not in a happy place. That's, no one that's in jail is typically in a happy place. So that, with that backdrop, here's what he says to the Philippian church that he's reporting to from jail. He says, and I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Pause. He's already setting them up here. He's already setting them up with not happy, happy, joy, joy, pretend, fake joy. He is really declaring, hey, actually, me being in here, it's going really well. And he's setting it up as because he's connected to the activity of God happening through him being in there. All right? So listen, he goes and he explains what that joy comes from. As a result of me being in here, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ's. See, he's connected to God's activity through what's happening. And he adds another little word about his brothers. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely. He's like, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Now he's in jail. He's not rejoicing. Rejoice in the Greek is the same word as joy in the Greek. So rejoice means joy. He's experiencing joy not because he's in jail, but because of that. Because the gospel's being advanced because he's in jail. His friends are preaching more fearlessly because he's in jail. Everyone in the palace around him knows why he's in there. He's convicted of following Jesus. All he has to do is say he doesn't follow Jesus and he's free. And he is rejoicing. He's got joy that is not hindered by his circumstances because of what God is doing through him. See that? Okay, Hebrews 10 is my other example. This author says, I want you to remember, he's talking to his audience, and he says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light? Okay, so he's setting us up here. This is all on the backdrop of this group. You remember when you were first saved, when you first heard the gospel and you first received all that? You remember that? Okay, keep that in mind. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, I don't know what was happening here, but he said you stood your ground in the face of suffering and he connected it to the light that they had received he gets a little he says a little more he says sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecutions at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated a great act of solidarity injustice work personally and with those that are suffering and it says you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your own property because why because you knew That you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. You see it? Their joy was maintained in the face of whatever kind of suffering. He lists some of it. Some of their loved ones were also suffering and stood by them, and yet they joyfully accepted this. Why? Because they knew. They knew they'd received the light and they have an eternal story they're living in. They remembered. They're saved. They're saved. And that's where God had done something in them to buffer them in their joy. So here's the deal. You will experience, you will experience the untouchable, everlasting, resilient, real kingdom joy provided by nothing short of the Holy Spirit of God within you when you stay connected to God's activity. So that's my big question for today is, are you? Is there anything in your life that you could say is the activity of God that I'm joining in? If not, you might wonder why you're not feeling some joy day to day. Is there anything in your life where you are remembering, where you're staying intimately in touch with God has saved you? Even with what you've done. Even with what you think. Even with your flaws. He has saved you and He has written your name in heaven. If not, if there's not a part of that there where you're exercising your connection to the activity of God in you and through you, don't be surprised if you don't walk around in your Sunday best, clothed with joy that cannot be taken away. So you do this by doing God's work and remembering that you're saved. One last scene to, to really drive this home. It's in Luke chapter 10. Jesus had, you know, he trained his 12 disciples, but his little posse grew and he had 72 workers at this point. And so he sent out the 72 and sent them out in pairs to cities that he would later visit. And he commissioned them to go out to do two things, to heal and preach. You know what he told them to preach? Same message he has. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, that's what he told them to go out and preach. Tell them the kingdom is near. And and heal. Demonstrate the kingdom. Share the message of the kingdom. All right? And so they go out, and this is what happens when they get back. It's in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is the best example I can find. I can't find a more direct example for you. There's tons of them, but none more direct than this. That you go out on behalf of the king with the message of the kingdom and the work of the kingdom. In whatever way you're designed to go out to do that is fine, okay? It doesn't have to look like theirs. But you go out and do that and the the kingdom return will be the Holy Spirit giving you joy. Kingdom joy. That will be resilient and will be able to handle what you come home to. Will be able to handle what you go out to. That's the kind of joy that he has. But I don't want you to miss what he says next. That is great, but there is an order of priority for Jesus in how you stay connected to joy. He says in verse 18, he replied. The weird, weird reply to this report from them. It says He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing's going to harm you. However... Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this brings me back to my initial story. See, he, for whatever reason, he saw their joy in being a part of kingdom work, and that's real. And, and I got your back, he says, but remember, and he tells this old story that if you know the Christian epic Satan fell from heaven because of his pride. And he's saying, more important than even that for you to have that joy and to be a part of my kingdom and to really experience this is to remember that you are saved. It's not by your power, it's by mine. And you have no power to overcome my power. All of your sin will be washed effortlessly by the king that's how powerful he is and that is what grounds you in your joy and that is what keeps you humble when you get to engage in kingdom work and you don't steal it with your ego and heal your wounded soul but you just take advantage of being usable, usable by god for his kingdom the root of your joy the thing that will keep you there and guard your heart from pride that will really fortify your life is simply do what we every week have a special sacred ceremony to connect you to and that's to remember. Remember, remember where you come from and remember how much Jesus loves you how much God loves you, that you have been saved from your sin. I want to ask our elders and our ministers and their spouses to go ahead and make their way to their spots. Some of them will be in this room if you're new to us. Some will be out in the foyer or outside and they do that just in case you need a touch. They're volunteering. They're saying, hey, we would love to visit with you about anything you need. If you need a prayer, you want to know how to get into life in Christ. If I could give you two kingdom assignments, these are the ones I'd give you because They are the ones that guarantee you'll be dressed in your Sunday best wherever you go. You'll have that joy. You will find that joy. And that is get involved in kingdom work. And even more important, never, never, ever forget. Stay intimately connected to the reality that you have been saved by grace, by Jesus. There's a prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51 that if you need a scripture anchor and a prayer to pray this regularly. This is a great one that that talks about this thing. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me willingness to do where God's inviting you to go and to do what he's inviting you to do will connect you to joy, but saying, remind me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. This is a great prayer, and this will do it. This will do it. This will give you that joy. Let's sing that prayer. Let's stand and let's sing that prayer together.